Hello everybody, welcome back to What Would The Smart Party Do? We are podcasting again. Uh, I'm over here and I'm Baz and over there is Gaz. Hello mate. Hello, hello listeners. Long time no see. I'm back from America and eager to talk about gaming. <laughs> well, we have talked about gaming in the last couple of weeks. We talked about gaming so much last week we forgot to press record on our computers. <laughs> so, <laughs> But we had an awesome chat. <laughs> no podcast... It was it was brilliant. Seriously, if if we ever do a director's commentary DVD of uh, what would the smart party do, it would be well worth a listen because that was where all the good stuff was, and you kind of had to be around our houses to hear it. So, sorry about that, everybody. <laughs> we're not gonna. I think it'd be weird if we try to have the same conversation again. So we're not yes. going to do that. We're going to try something completely fresh. Uh, well, well, I say completely fresh. We're looking at some stuff that's kind of got the. The stink of the grave about it in, in a couple of ways. So a uh, topic for discussion this week is we're looking at some some hacks, some super small press publications, some amateur stuff uh, about people's house rules and hacks of their games. Um, and the reason I talk about corpses and graves is we're talking about an exhumation of the original D&D set uh, called The Black Hack. We're going to have a little look at that. And uh, the first thing to say about the black hack is it's got a severed hand on the front. So hence my zombie references. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It is very rock and roll because it's got um, a severed hand throwing up the horns. Very iconic. So uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about the black hack and we're going to talk about some other hacks off the back of that and probably just hacking in general. So uh, so how about, Gaz, if we play the old definition game and uh, you know, t- tell us what, what, what we mean when we're talking about hacks then because it might be a bit of game jargon that perhaps everybody has different opinions on what it actually means what, what do you think of when we say hack yeah i think you're right it's one of them it seems to become common parlance these days talking about hacks doesn't it so if you get five tips for something on the internet it's five life hacks which is something like you know have your umbrella the right way up or something which is not really a life hack it's just common sense quotes don't lose your keys it's like well yeah that's not a life hack. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Um, so in terms of role-playing hack, I would suggest is to take a set of rules and then literally hack them up. So you'll take bits out that you want or you add bits in and add sellotape and uh, WD-40, whatever else you need to do. Uh, and you end up with a chopped-up bit of something original to come up with your own version of it. Um, so I quite, quite like some of the Apocalypse World hacks are to take the Apocalypse World engine but then take out rules or add ones in or monkey about with it generally so you still have the same core There's, there'll be a lot of familiarity to someone who's never played your hack before but you've come up with a, a new version of it or something a bit more streamlined or maybe more complicated depending on which way you want to go with it but the hacks really um taking someone's base and then building your own thing out of it or on top of it is that do you agree with that yeah, well, that, that seems to be what people are talking about. It's quite a new term, actually, I think. I first heard about it with Powered by the Apocalypse Games, like you say, and they've not been around forever. And maybe before that it was with indie games, where an indie game can and has been in the past, often you can get it down to a couple of sheets of paper. So perhaps, you know, saying I've written an indie game felt a little bit a bit ostentatious really when a couple of sheets of, of typed out pages feels more like you know I've hacked something together it felt a bit rough and ready um, and I think the term sort of moved forward a bit from there so so it's all kind of cool I get it there's um, I would probably say there seems to be more hacks about than than new games these days if you look at release schedules and stuff like that publishers tend to be like well sometimes they're hacking their own thing arguably you could say a new edition of a game is the publisher hacking its own game Mm, yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Um, so um, there's lots of. I think there are some hacks in the kind of like Hollywood sequel aren't. movies in some ways. They aren't Doesn't hacks. Mean they're they're bad. just you know, some sequel movies are brilliant. They're basically but, um, a D and D module or something like that. There is a lot of hacks about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, most of them writing for role playing companies. Um, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think it's um, it is bandied about quite a lot. So I'd be interested to see what our uh, listeners think of that as well in terms of what value you get out of things, you know what I mean? Because you can quite often buy into something uh, and you're not actually getting a lot for it or it just seems to be something you've already got. So that that to me is a little bit interesting. But I think it's fine when it's something relatively cheap or free on the internet. I think that's all all right. I think someone makes an industry out of it. That's where it starts to get a little bit more kind of like, well, what are you doing here? What am I getting as a consumer? But uh, while it's still like small press or free, I think that's all fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I guess 
the other thing I wanted to call out fairly early on, though, having looked through some hacks recently, and, and definitely the stuff we're going to talk about today is, well, when did things stop being house rules? Was it <laughs> when people got access to desktop publication, which is trivial these days? It's, it's really easy to get, and, and the world's a better place for that because you know we have access to computers and Word and printers and stuff like that, and and it's really easy for your for your thoughts to be something that other people can see, and I, I'm all for that. Um, but you know, house ruling back when I were a wee Ben just meant you had a big ring binder which was full of loose leaf pages of of stuff you thought was rubbish about Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Um, but it, in no sense did I ever think, like, even if I had access to printing, that I would like, foist that upon the world. Uh, and I don't think anybody really did. Um, but there seems to be plenty of people who want to uh, who want to show off what they do with their home games. Again, that's not an issue per se, but it seems to be an inclination that's only popped up recently what do you think yeah well i think it is it's something we talked about before in terms of like you know we we're a sort of like gms and the people we hang about with or speak to on forums or on g plus groups where they tend to be largely the more vocal people and the gms or the you know the indie gamers who want to be like where it's gmless but everybody gets to say kind of thing so i think in that market it might seem a little bit odd to us but there are let's not forget probably six to one ratio of other people who just want to play a game or want to be told what the rules are, or don't want to mess about. Uh, and they're quite happy just to turn up and do whatever you tell them, sort of thing. And, you know, you tell them what shape dice to roll, and they'll start rolling them. So things like these hacks are probably, like, quite quite appeal to those. If they don't want to read, for example, D&D, or don't know which edition to get, and just want something easy, just roll a d20 occasionally, they might pick up the black hack, or get the mate to do it and run it for them, or something like that. So I think... The house rules thing has become more appealing as a hack now because it's just kind of it's easy for people. I think people generally want a lot of more easy content and they kind of don't want to have to think about it or work out how to house rule something. They just kind of want someone to give it to them and say, okay, I'll give you $2. You tell me what to roll and we'll go from there. And then, you know, they've kind of got permission to hack off the back of it then as well because if you're buying something that's already a bootleg, you don't mind taping over one or two songs you don't like, do you? It's just, I think there's a bit of an element of that to it. So it's kind of like feeds itself in a certain way. And there's that many different versions yeah. of OSR and D&D and stuff as well. It's, you can just pick the one you want, can't you, as well? So you don't have to worry about house ruling too much. You can just find a find the one that other people have already play-tested and banged on about, find the one that appeals to you most, and play that one instead, rather than worrying about what will happen if I drop encumbrance rules or something. Hmm. Yeah, which which is a nice idea in a sense. You know, I think there's probably as many D and D variants now as there are D and D groups in the world. We could probably all play different D and D and still call it D and D. There's hundreds of them. I think I think I physically own, um, uh, and let's not even get into the world of PDFs. Probably thirty plus D and D variants, which is a shocking amount of games, really. And that's okay because otherwise, you know, you would never have more than thirty albums in your collection you know it's okay to have diverse stuff that's of a genre or i'd never have more than 30 sci-fi books so <laughs> i think it's, it's okay but but it is weird when i read something now or when i sit down to play any game of D and I kind of i kind of impro hack as i go along because i can't remember which version of D and i'm playing half the time and i certainly can't remember like whether i'm using ascending armor class descending armor class or wh- whether this game does opportunity attacks or attacks of opportunity <laughs> and someone will ask me a question at the table and I'll go, I've got 15 potential answers to that. I don't know which one we're using this week. <laughs> so it can get... But this this quest for simplicity and having something specific can get quite confusing and generic. Yeah, and I think that's where some of the these kind of like small press hacks come in, that they are quite small in the amount of rules they have. So you don't have things like attacks of opportunity or opportunity attacks. You just have your roll to hit something and roll damage and that's it. And you're done. Uh, and for me personally, I mean, it's not really my sort of thing. I prefer there to be more rules, more levers to pull, more dials, know exactly what I'm doing with a set of rules. But I know, as I've said, with this six to one rule, a lot of people just want you tell me what to roll, I'll roll it. That's fine. And they don't, they're not bothered about looking under the hood necessarily, even, or thinking, well, that's, you know, this is more advantageous to that. And why wasn't the game designer fixed it? Whatever. It's just more kind of, I'll just do whatever because the story and the having a laugh with my mates and just playing is more important than any of that stuff. It's just for someone like me, it's how it ticks away in the back of my head. If I can see that something doesn't seem to work mathematically or there's some other, there's something missing or something doesn't line up as far as I'm concerned, it kind of digs away at the back of my mind while I'm playing. And I think for a lot of other people, they could just ignore that. They don't even think about it. 
Yeah, and, and uh, do you know what? That's if we get into the black hack now, we'll talk about that a bit. That's the sense I get off of this: is that it is um, it's a, a nicely compiled set of notes about uh, a real GM with real players with real experience who's just codified the stuff that happens around their table all the time um, and they put it into a package which means other people can understand it uh, which is all good and, and, a, and a noble idea at all so so let's look at the black hack then so this is this is compiled and developed uh, by a fellow called David Black hence the black hack uh, kind of reminds me of white hack which is another hack which I really <laughs> quite like um, so <laughs> I'm already getting confused. We started to sound like uh, those aliens off really Mars slim. <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's super slim. What we got? 20 pages? Uh, uh, I printed it off on my work PC today and it took about like, two minutes. It was fantastic. So it's only about 20 pages long. There's uh, it's, it's kind of basic graphic design, which I really like. It's got words and tables, and it's all black and white, and it's really, really striking because it, it's not got all of the production qualities you'd expect off of a pro outfit, and quite right too. Um, and really nice bit of typography, and I really like the cover. And I think it, you know, just the name and the cover is really appetizing. Yeah, who wouldn't want to play something that looks, it looks quite rock and roll? And it doesn't say RPG on it or anything else like that. It's like a forbidden pamphlet that got passed around behind the bike sheds at school. Yeah, it uh, looks like... I, I, I want to open it. Yeah, when it. ACDC were kids and they were going to design the first album cover, this is kind of what they did. Do they want to make to draw it? And... <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> that, it's got that kind of thing. Yeah. And um, I kind of... I, I don't know. It. I've got, I've got two minds about it. I mean, one, in one respect, I kind of... There's bits that I don't like and find a little bit irritating by the kind of like low rent design and all the rest of it but the other bits I find equally charming so it's it's quite funny I don't know most books these days if you open them up you've got like your thanks to page they're either in alphabetical order which is the standard way of doing it or the designer's picked some way and he's got thanks at the start in no particular order and it really is as far as I can determine no particular order it's just kind of jumbled up and yep. and, and the book has yeah, got yeah. you know that sort of belies I think some of probably the thought that went into the, the, the pamphlet but it feels a little bit like, like you say, a GM's just put this together and gone, oh shit, who else do I need to thank? And sort of like written names down and that kind of thing. And A, a, re- <laughs> a really funny bit right at the start is um, he's put an OSR first edition hack, but the OSR is in, uh, in scare quotes in a kind of like, like he's not bothered what OSR is, and he doesn't, which is kind of like embodies what OSR is to a degree. Like you kind of, I don't care what everybody else what the de- thinks the definition is or whatever else, but I understand that if I use these three letters, people will kind of get what I'm doing. But I'm not too serious about it, so it's this kind of thing, you know. Yeah, uh, I, I, do you know, and it's a, uh, <laughs> so it's almost like a trigger warning for forum debates. This kind of stuff, <laughs> just typing yeah. OSR. Oh, and it, and it does to me as well because my immediate thought on seeing the title that this is an OSR first edition hack is, oh really? Well, let's test that then. Which is just me being manicatique, yeah. and, and and I should say. Well, first of all, you've got to know what OSR is, and no one knows what OSR is. It's just a term now that's basically meaningless. Um, and, I, and I actually don't think this is particularly OSR, uh, because although I've said it's, it's 20 pages long, it's 20 pages of rules and nothing but. Um, and I think sometimes the OSR thinks it's got to be rules light. And, well, first edition, to me, means AD&D, and I know that I'll, I can people can debate that with me all they want. <laughs> that's what first edition D&D was, and... If anything, that wasn't rules light, and that always seems to get forgotten about when we're talking OSR. It really does, and and that's an annoyance. So th- this isn't this isn't particularly rules light. I don't think it's particularly OSR. I think it's it's exactly what it says it is. Which, to be fair to David Black, he says it uses the original fantasy role playing game, so D and D, and it adds and takes away bits to make a streamlined flavour of the original role playing game. So it's basically his D&D, the way he plays it, and the way that loads of people play it, where you don't really ever want to go and pick up the rule book to check. You just make something up and go with that, and everybody's cool with it, and then you write down what you did later and realise that you've just sort of like filed all of the rough edges off of the game, and you've just gone for a fairly smooth experience. It makes sense in play, um, and, and that's what he's done. So, which is fine, and and I could pick apart every little piece of this because some of the 
Some of the rules I really like, some of them I already use, so we we obviously thought of the same thing at some point in the past, and some of them I wouldn't give them table space in my game. I, I kind of look at it like a menu of something to pick from, um, and from that perspective, happy days. Does it hang together as a complete game? I don't. I, for me, it doesn't. But that's just a preference thing, mm. and I don't think it's even really presented as a whole game. So, so the bit that makes me scratch my head is is how it's got such a a legion of evangelical fans who who present it as like the the second coming. Well, by now the fifteenth <laughs> of a great role playing game that's completely standalone, and everybody should have it and not play anything else. I don't get that. I don't know. I don't know what they're reading that I'm not. No, I don't understand it at all either. Um, not that I want to take everything away from David Black. I think, in, in fairness to him, he didn't really expect it to be like you know, the second coming of Christ or anything. He just put some stuff together, nah. and <laughs> stuck it on drive through for a couple of dollars. But you know, people have taken up this cause. Um, I think it must be the way a lot of people play, and that you know, it's like these old arguments you used to have about BRP and Cthulhu, and people saying it's a perfect system, and then you talk to them. And you find out they don't use ninety percent of the system. It's like, well, it's not perfect, then, is it? Because you're not using it. I think that might be the case for a lot of D and D that people played it, but all the like extra manuals and stuff you got for AD and D or whichever version you considered to be the first. There's tons and tons of rules, weren't there? And how many actually got used, and which did got thrown away, and which did you change anyway, and which did you just ignore or forget or make up, and your house rules became the new rules. So I think possibly the the, the you know the real evangelical following about it is just that it's really quite simple people just want to you know hit goblins and roll a dice and they're not too bothered about anything else underneath it all you still get power players and they probably don't like this sort of game i would suggest i've not spoke to any about it but this is more of um i've heard people talk about it for example for continuum or the conventions and someone said i was going to bring a game wasn't quite sure what version of dnd to bring so i'm just going to bring black hack I think it's that kind of pick-up and play feel. It feels like a, a more trod game, but done in the kind of indie pick-up and play game way. So you can still play your old school D&D, but without you know, a mountain of rules to go with it and that kind of stuff. Possibly. Well, it's portable. It's definitely that. I mean, it, don't get me wrong, it's the sort of thing I'd drop into a bag and, um, and produce at a minute's notice. But not because I think it's simple. I actually don't think it's simple. Um... But because it's not three hardback books, um, which you kind of have to cart around with you if you're going to run um, any stripe of D and D that isn't like basic D and D, and 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 this is it's a couple of quid. It's a PDF. You could do it off your phone um, or print it off, and it's like ten sheets of paper in booklet format. So, you know, I think it, you, no complaints at all, given that it only costs so little money and it's just a few sheets of paper. I, I don't really feel like I can complain about it at all. So I'm not going to do that. What, I, what I'm going to complain about is I don't think it's a game in, it, in and of itself. I think, and I'm going to put this to the test with some people who've only just started playing D&D with me this week, I don't think you could hand this to someone who doesn't already understand role-playing games and specifically the D&D type of role-playing game you can't hand it to them and say, have fun, go and get yourself a group of mates, play D&D. This makes huge reliance, and probably rightly so, on the fact that we've all played it to death. And any memory you've got of how to adjudicate a D&D type situation, your first instinct is probably going to be replicated in one of these little rules. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah, possibly. But it ain't a game. It ain't a game. Um, yeah, I mean, there's bits to it that I remember... I don't know whether it's a white box D&D, but it's certainly a D&D with a kind of like washed out bluish ink on a white background cover of D&D that I picked up having played D&D at school and I went to the local sort of hobby shop to try and find something and, and read it and half of it didn't make sense. And that's that's sort of the feel I've got from this. So in terms of capturing that original D&D feel, I think it's done a very good job. Um, and there's been like, cause, you know, <laughs> as a kid, I voraciously read that book and then tried to work out where all the missing bits were that I'd been playing in my game. And there's, there's stuff like that. There's, there is enticing sort of snippets and bits and pieces here here and there. So, like, you know, not too far in, you've got your list of uh, equipment that you can buy from with your 3D6 coins. Uh, and I like the idea that it's just coins. And we don't bother about whether there's silver or gold or what the currency is. You just have a unit of money and you buy stuff with your coins. Um, but there's, you know, you've got a holy symbol, which gives you a bonus when banishing things. And later on, there's rules on banishing. That sounds fair enough. And then you've got holy water. And that's never mentioned again in the book. So what do you use that for then? 
it's got a usage die, so it might run out, but nowhere does it explain what you would do with that stuff. So it's something you'd make up yourself. So I find those little bits really do capture what I felt like when I was 12 or whatever, having played D&D for a couple of years at school and eventually found a book and then read it and couldn't work out what I was supposed to do based on that book and my experiences. And it feels like that. So I think it's done a really good job of sort of capturing that kind of yesteryear feel of a new person coming to a D&D game trying to work out what to do. Yeah, do you know what? From that perspective, it has, mate. If you did give it to someone brand new, they would come across a big hole in the rules, like we all did with original D&D, um, and you would just have to make something up. And and it doesn't even it doesn't even say because you don't have to say you know oh, roll roll a d six you know this is the rule zero just make something up. It doesn't tell us we can do that because because grown ups don't need to be told how to be creative. So that's kind of nice and. And it, and it's interesting what's missing from this rather than what's in it. I mean, I, I think it could probably go further because there's no authorial voice in it. There is a big example of play at the back, and I love examples of play, but there's hardly anything that isn't just facts. This is what it is, this is how it works, and then it moves on. And it doesn't over-explain, it doesn't put in little examples, it doesn't go... But one thing I, I would have liked, which would have trebled the size of it, but it would have made it a more interesting read for me, is well why did you do that then because i'd be interested in in what what is what what you're trying to achieve with some of these these changes because some of them are quite fundamental you've got you've got armor points instead of armor class that's that's pretty fundamental um you've got a, a pretty much a different spell casting system uh attributes are and skills well there's no skills at all which is fine uh good decision uh, but it's, <laughs> it's roll low um you've got usage dice which oh, i, I want to talk about usage dice but um it, there's all kinds of stuff in it and i'm I'm really interested in like why'd you come up with that then because there's got to be 15 million different ways of doing encumbrance and i'm kind of semi-interested in why it's been done that way because i can't quite get a sense of what this is trying to do and maybe I'm overthinking it. Maybe it's not trying to do anything. Maybe it's just a fella's house rules. Mm. In which case, yeah. why should he have to explain it to anyone? Exactly, yeah. yeah. I, I found the initiative curious. Because everyone's got to be sorted into an order, it tells us. Think, cool. You'll make dex tests to see whether you know who goes in what order. But then just splits them into two groups. So if you succeed, you go before the people who failed. Okay, well, if you've got ten monsters and six players... All you've done is split them into two groups of eight or whatever. Like, we still need to work out who goes, but you still haven't determined who goes in what order. So you've rolled some <laughs> dice and still don't know what the answer is. <laughs> so you might as well make it up. Well, so, you know, it's bits like that that I feel like, okay, I see you've made a rule and you've killed to make whatever decision or rule you want to do, but I don't see what you're achieving there. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It feels a bit like that. Well, funnily enough, yeah, I t- I totally. But as an example, that's a rule I already use. I use that rule almost exactly in my D&D games. So I suppose I'm jealous that he stuck it in there. And, <laughs> <laughs> and everyone thinks it's his you, idea. You copied it, Baz. You didn't come up but with it's, it. It's, <laughs> oh, totally, yeah, totally. No, I get, I get what he's on about there, but it's, it's not beautifully explained. It's, it's explained in very, very short terms. But I, I still think you're right. You would have obviously done that differently to me, and we're both looking at the same sheet of paper. Well, there you go. I suppose that is D and D. For me, some of the other stuff that's in there is. It's uh, it's made a couple of changes which I genuinely do not see the point of, and they haven't really been followed through on. It's perhaps not a big deal, but some of the name changes are they remind me of what happened with D and D and gaming back in the seventies and eighties when no one was allowed to use the term dungeon master anymore, so someone had to be a game master, and then they were a game moderator, and then they were a keeper, and it's like, yeah, okay, I know, I know we're not going to have basic basic terms for for stuff, but just because you've given it a new name is not necessarily an innovation and the wizard in this game is called a conjurer and every time I see that word it just makes me think why really it's it's like okay go ahead you could do that but in your table that's fine it's just warrior cleric conjurer thief seems an odd one yeah yeah Um, and rounds are now called moments and turns are called minutes but later on they use they he uses turns for spell durations it's like follow through on it or or tell us what you're doing or just give us a list of terms you think you know but what I call them in this game <laughs> that would have worked <laughs> yeah yeah I know what you mean I mean I like the idea of having moments and minutes but then he does refer to them as rounds and turns when he describes them so you're kind of like well okay why why have you renamed them I, I, I think I'm on board with it you kind of want something more to then come out of it don't you 
If you're going to change it, then what's what's the reason for that? Yeah, and it's like hit dice. Hit dice is still a thing, uh, but it gets you get told about it, but it doesn't really get referenced anywhere else. So, and I think that's just an oversight, and an editing past would have got it, but it's not actually obvious what a hit dice is because in the class write-ups, which are not lengthy, you don't have hit dice written down next to them, which is. So you don't know what the hit dice is. You can work it out. It's not that hard. Don't get me wrong. It's not that hard. But that that's going to be, I suppose, a function of being like, you know, an amateur press thing. And I totally get it. But it's also a function of every single person who reads it kind of knows what a hit dice is. So it doesn't really matter. So it is absolutely leaning on the fact that, that people know what a thief is. Because it doesn't say anything apart from thief. Yeah. But conjurer, that means in my head, I've had to do a, uh, I've had to do a very, very simple translation from magic user to wizard. Well, I did that years ago. I got the hang of that now. But but now it's a conjurer, um, and I suppose maybe it doesn't matter. But it's there's some little inconsistencies and weirdnesses in there, which I just uh, I can't like all of it. I think it would be impossible to like all of it, and it would be impossible to hate all of it. Yeah, I think yeah, as we said, it is someone's personal view on something isn't it so I don't, is Kundra one of the, like the, the names of levels of magic user when they used to have them mm-hmm. an expert or something yeah. uh, I don't yeah. imagine the, yeah, the author just it. thought I like that one best so I'm going to use that for my magic users in my game I would guess it might even be that warrior was the name for a first level fighter I can't remember and maybe thief and cleric were in there too so yeah, if possibly. that's true if and I'll check that that's a really cool little easter egg for the for the Gronyards but I don't think it is I think it just went with his favourite word I've done it Earthdawn did nothing but that, just rename things. So, you know, <laughs> there's a it's a good history of like renaming stuff. And I suppose that is a hack. Um I mean other stuff is is really big and fundamental changes. Um like there's an out of action table, um, which is a bit Savage Worlds really, and, and as I I don't get to see an out of action table in many D and D variants. I think that is probably unique. Probably gonna be wrong. But um that's an unusual thing. And uh, and one of the results on that is you can be disfigured, and have your charisma reduced to four, which which looks a bit. Uh, that's almost more brutal than being dead, <laughs> I would have thought. Uh, but it but it does stop you ever having to roll that number again. So there's there's some really weird little things in there which which in play probably don't come out as well as they read in text. And but then there'll be other things which is probably wonderful in play. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean. I, I find it interesting as well that advantage and disadvantage are in there. So if you've got advantage, you get to roll two dice and pick the best one, and disadvantage, you roll two and pick the worst or whatever, or the GM picks for you, um, which seems to be a relatively new thing that's been knocking around. It's in the new Cthulhu and things like that as well as D&D type things. But it's curious to have this kind of old school game but picking up that new thing. There's quite a few things in there that are straight out of modern game design, and it says in the front that he's done a bit of that, and and I'm all for it, but um, but it's a right mismatch. There's uh, there's some really really old stuff, some really really new stuff. It's like a little bit of greatest hits, and 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 the the thing is, it might sound like I'm being down on it. I'm not really. It's exactly what I would do. It's exactly what I have done, and probably most GMs worth their salt have thought about when they're running a game that's so hackable or changeable or mutable. Um, but we don't all stick it up on RPG now. That's the difference, I suppose. And. It's a bit like, you know, when you look at modern art and say, well, that's rubbish, anyone could have done it. Well, not everyone did do it, and you <laughs> yeah. didn't do it, but you could have done and you didn't, so shut up. <laughs> you know, <laughs> someone got there first and and they did it fine. Yeah. So, you know, all fair play, fair play to him. I, I think the fans of the Black Hack probably do it a bit of a disservice by probably overselling it a little bit. It is what it is, and for, for two bucks, I've got no complaints whatsoever. I will probably not use it as is. But that doesn't mean it's bad. It's just a preference thing for me. I don't quite get the love, um, but I'm kind of glad it's out there. Yeah, I think I think that's the thing with me as well. I mean, it's, I was never the target market for it anyway, so that that's fine. It's just the it's probably been taken about because you hear all this like there's loads of people we know and you see on the internet. There's just like tons and tons of love for it, and then I bought it and I feel not disappointed, but I just expected it to be a bit more there for for all the enthusiasm that it's getting. But I think it's just you know. Neat little set of house rules for your, for your game, and if you like D and D, you probably like it. If you want something quick and easy, but, but given the the amount of social media pipe, I was expecting there to be some something else, I guess. That that, but it, it you know, as you say, nothing wrong with it. it. It's just not 
giving me the uh, the massive excitement that I thought I'm, there must be something in here. Because given the amount of how much flag waving people are doing, I guess. Well, the um, the stuff that you can pick from it, I suppose the new bit of tech in there is the usage dice. Mm. Uh, yeah, which I, like I said we chat yeah. about. So, um, uh, usage dice. Right. So I'll explain what usage dice is. So this is for expendable stuff. So you would use it for your arrows, or as you pointed out a minute ago, maybe for your holy water stuff like that. So anything that's kind of expendable in the game. And at its heart, D&D was a game of resource management. So this makes a bit of sense that we're going to try and put a mechanic into it. Um, so what would happen is that you would have a dice a dice type to represent how much stuff you've got. So you might have a, a bunch of um, arrows and you would have a D8 as your usage dice. And every time you've used some arrows, uh, you would then roll your usage dice and if you roll a one or a two, that's kind of a fail, and your usage dice would be knocked down to the next size. So you would then only have a D6 for your arrows for next time, and if you roll a one or a two on that, you would end up with a, a D4, until eventually, if you roll a one or a two on your D4, you are out of that resource. So that's basically the plan. So your holy water starts with a D4, so you haven't got a lot of that. And, and arrows you get loads and I suppose ball bearings you're rolling a percentage dice or something I don't know what you're rolling for that but yeah, that's, that's basically the plan Yeah. so that looks fine I get it here's what I don't get I don't get why we're making any kind of rule at all for expendable resources when much like I suppose encumbrance and rations and, and even alignment that just got jettisoned 10 minutes after I first played any Stripe of D&D. I mean, I cannot ever remember anyone being bothered about counting arrows. And I get that this is easier than counting arrows, but it's not as easy as not bothering at all. Mm. So, <laughs> um, And if you really want to go into resource management, I think there might be better ways of doing it than random roles, because genuinely, if I were playing a cleric and I had a bunch of holy water and I'd been to the shops and bought some a 50-50 chance of having all of it or none of it seems a bit random even for a D&D hack so I'm not convinced by it I think it looks nicer than it is yeah I like that kind of stuff I've not tried it uh, with this obviously where I do like it uh, or I've tried it relatively recently is in Pendragon um, in the expanded I think it's Lord and Ladies expansion bit that uh, Greg Stafford did he's got some bits on there where you can roll for heirlooms or things like that uh, and the stuff like uh, Fall's Healing Rock, which is just, you know it's magic rock which you rub against one of your injured knights, and it gives him X number of hit points back or whatever. But then it's got usage dice to it, which but it's just a, like an all or nothing. It's kind of like you roll your d twenty, and on a one to four, it's not, it's not magic anymore, and that's it. And I kind of like that because it it fits in with that because it's you've got this like I said like literally a pebble in your hand and it's magic, and you rubbed it on your mate and it's helped him out. But you don't know if it's going to keep on doing that or not. You've no idea. It's, it's been blessed in some way or some fairies inside it or something. And you as an eye just don't understand. Uh, and, and, and one day it just stops working. And it's beyond the ken of men. You know, you just wouldn't, you have no idea how to, if you could recharge it or where to get another one or anything. Uh, so I think in them sort of circumstances, that sort of usage die makes sense. Or if you're using a healing salve and it's like, oh crap, this isn't working. We need to put more on. So you don't know whether you're going to run out of it or not because you just have to keep piling more until it works. That kind of stuff I, I can see for it. But but as you say, if it's if it's arrows, it feels funny to be in a, in a battle and you're shooting arrows at your opponent and you don't know whether you're going to have another one. <laughs> it's like you reach around your quiver and, <laughs> oh no, I haven't got any more now. I, I did have one for ages. It just kept me the same arrow fight and now there isn't one. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I do like the idea of the usage die. Uh, I've not tried it in, in anger for mundane items to know whether it works or whether I get a bit annoyed. Well, it, this if you're trying to get a feel for what what the black hat is trying to do, and because every D and D variant, I think if it's if it's a good one, or any game for that matter, it should be trying to strike a tone or a theme or have an idea behind it more than just a generic fantasy game. Because I don't think generic fantasy games are much more than generic fantasy games. This has got to have a theme, and it, and if the black hat's got any theme that you can take from it, the character sheet half of it is a backpack that you would you would scribble your equipment into and the kind of unique mechanic that's uh, that's brought up in it is the usage dice so I'm, I'm looking at it thinking this is a game about equipment and about resource management and about you know limited supplies and i'm down with that i think that's great i've got a game called torchbearer that does exactly the same thing but yeah times yeah, i was gonna bring that up yeah. so i get that 
so that makes perfect sense but then it's uh, D&D games aren't about that they've never really been about that that was always the worst part about it and I think you're going to have to try a lot harder to make your D&D about that I just think that this is going to be something that gets jettisoned fairly quickly um, and I think that that's it's a strange hook to hang your variant on um, the big backpack of death it, it, when you've got equally you've got your class descriptions take up about four lines and there is nothing to do when you level up apart from have a couple of hit points there's you know there's nothing for the player to really get behind so what's in their backpack is more important than what's in their head maybe oh, i don't know probably overthinking it yeah it feels like a one-shot game to me i'm not sure about the leveling up and stuff like that uh, it feels like that pick up and play thing and uh, you might level up just as a consequence of every time you and your mates get together at a convention you see each other a few times a year you just have another quick bash at black hack and get another another dungeon done and level up once and get a few more hit points and put the characters away till the next three months when you play again maybe I mean, I like the idea of the putting your, your ammunition, rations and torch die on your character sheet. So I, I like the idea of using your character sheet function like that in, in yes. terms of actually having dice sat on them and they tick up or down and that sort of thing. But yeah, as I say, ha- half the half the character sheet is a picture of a backpack. And you kind of... Yeah, certainly if you're like a, a conjurer, for example, you probably want more of it to be space for spells or things like that, I would think, rather than whether you're carrying a 10-foot palm. You would think. I don't know. Yeah, you would think. Well, spells don't take up a lot of room because all of the content, which is what normally powers D&D and takes up half the player's handbooks and hundreds of spells and hundreds of monsters, that's been massively condensed. You've got like all the monsters in the game across a two-page spread, uh, all the spells in the game across a two-page spread, and, and there's there's a half sentence for each. So that's, that's, uh, that's slapped right back down. Uh, I don't have a problem with that. I think that's okay. I mean, the monsters have got one number and a line of text, <laughs> and again, it kind of, it, you know, it, it, you just have to lean on your knowledge, and um, I suppose that's a big old gap. But if you can't, if you can't think goblin and come up with something to say as a GM, you probably need to get a different hobby anyway. So that's all right. I don't mind that too much, but it is sparse. It's really sparse. Yeah, so you kind of like creatures, you've got your hit dice, which there's a little table at the start, isn't there, which tells you how much damage they do if for a certain hit point, hit die, mm-hmm. rather. But then some of them seem to have weapons, and they do different amounts mm-hmm. of damage. I don't know, it feels a bit... It's that, it's, this is the sort of thing, not necessarily with this particular one product, I don't want to feel... It does feel like we're sort of like bashing Black Hat quite a bit when it's more of a general conversation, I think, but... It's kind of you, you've introduced a rule for something and then don't particularly use it and do something else instead for some, you know, quite a lot of occasions. And it, I don't know why you'd. I just don't know why. <laughs> I, I think I'm looking for a why where there isn't one. Do you know what I mean? I think it's just it, the, if you play no, a kind one, of old school D and D game where a lot of stuff just didn't make sense and wasn't play tested necessarily, or nah. it's just slung together and you just play and have fun and don't think about it too much. Yeah, and this is what happens at actual tables. Even even tables where uh, where your your GM and players are heavily invested in in a fairly lengthy and robust rule sets. You could be playing Shadowrun with Shadowrun veterans, but there will always be those stages where you just skip over stuff and don't really apply the rules. You know, see every every chase scene ever done. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, and there'll be times when you just get get the rules out and, and overdo it when you don't need to, like many combats. And that's just role playing, isn't it? Um, so what I, what I do like is a, I think it is generally an acknowledgement of um, of that'll do is probably good enough as long as you've got some pace in your game. And, and there'll be nothing slow about this game. So you know, uh, we like pace in our games, and I reckon you could very easily sit down to play D&D with D&D veterans uh, have literally beers and pretzels and I think you could chew through an awful lot of game in a relatively short period of time uh, and that's a good thing well maybe it's something we should do Baz for a future podcast we could do with getting a, a game of black hack in and seeing just how it shakes out do you know what I mean well yes or we could do that or we could hack the hack and look at some of the other hacks that are out there and maybe play something that you'd prefer, like Cthulhu hack. <laughs> Segway. Funny you should mention that as I flip <laughs> all my PDFs. <laughs> the Smart Party has a Patreon account. It's a way for you and a loyal listener to help with the running costs of the podcast. We really appreciate your help because the red posting and exotic whiskies don't pay for themselves. 
Head over to the patreon.com slash smartparty and sign up to drop us a couple of bucks each month. We will forever be in your depths and you can sit back and relax as we continue to provide free gaming banter for your delectation and delight. So the, 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 the black hack, one of the other things it's done, and again, I can't imagine for one minute the author assumed this was going to happen either, is not only did it generate legions of fans um, and, and loads of sales, and you know, good for him for all of those things, it also encouraged what appears to be half its paying audience to go and write their own hack. <laughs> so <laughs> there's, there's now another iteration of hacks of the hack. There's, uh, there's hex hack, there's supers hacks, there's Jack the Ripper hacks, um, and and the one that that we've been pouring over for the last week or so is the Cthulhu hack uh, by a friend of the show, Paul Baldowski. Uh And the Cthulhu hack is exactly what you would imagine, which is the Call of Cthulhu version of the Black Hack. So this is it's twice as long as the book it's based on. That's my first thought. So there's that, <laughs> and um, I. I, I really want to like this because me and Cthulhu don't rub along fantastically well, and I think if it's going to be, if if this can get me playing Cthulhu in the way that the Black Hackers obviously got people juiced up for playing fantasy role playing, it will have absolutely done its job. Uh, but I do not speak as the Cthulhu expert at all. So, Gaz, could you? Are you going to be using? I'll put it on the table. Are you going to be Cthulhu hacking your Delta Green games anytime soon? Do you want the long or short answer? <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, probably. Um, now I, I love Paul uh, to death, uh, and you know, love the work he's done with our world up and everything as well. And I'm glad he's done this, and people are getting value out of it. But if anything, I'm even more bemused by this than I was with the black hack. So, <laughs> oh uh, God, Sorry, yeah, listeners. I know. We've been. I'm like a bottle of red wine in, and I'm getting all grumpy because I'm old and cantankerous. I guess I don't know. <laughs> um, no, but the the thing. It feels very similar to to the Black Hack, as you would expect, and he's obviously just done a, a layer on top and added some extra bits and pieces. Um, but one of the things I find a little bit sort of confusing, I'm confused as to the audience of this, if you know what I mean, because uh, uh, quite a bit of it speaks to you as if you don't know what a role-playing game is, but then it happily drops in stuff about Cthulhu or D&D or other rules and things that speak to you as if you were a gamer and not what we're talking about. So there's a little bit of a, a mixed message going on, I found. Um, I don't know whether you found the same thing, Baz, but it feels a little bit like, you know, this is what a role-playing game is, and then in the same breath can talk about hit dice or something. Well, maybe not hit dice, but you know you know what I mean? It talks into other shorthand that we've got as gamers that a new person wouldn't understand. So I'm not sure who the audience is. Is it is it anyone? Is it someone who's played Black Hacks or has some idea but wants to try something different? But And do they know about Cthulhu or not? I'm not sure. Because much like it's, I, sorry, I got, I got that sense. Yeah, I got that sense too, mate. But no, I, I got just to agree with you. Really, it's I read this immediately after having read the Black Hack because you can read both of them in under an hour, and it's like I, I can see what Paul's done here. He's read the Black Hack and thought, oh, that needs a bit more explanation, so he's put it in. But he's, <laughs> but uh, but he, he's obviously been careful to not make it a three hundred page book, so. But he's he's gone neither one way or the other with it. So you're right. There's there's some explanation in here about what the game is and what the core mechanic is, um, and it's it's still not wordy. Don't get me wrong. But there's four paragraphs on what the core mechanic is, and the black hat did it in two. So it's literally twice as long. But I don't think it adds. It just adds word count, but not clarity. Yeah, and, and much like the the black hat's not got much of the D and D stuff in there. So like you say, there's just one line is for monsters and all the rest of it. Um, in this, at the end, you've kind of got two of the uh, five, what they are, pages on Mythos for the Mythos 101, and or three maybe. But it's kind of, if you don't know what Cthulhu is, or you don't even know that basic stuff, why have you picked up Cthulhu Hack? I don't, you either know this stuff or you don't. So that it, it feels like it's halfway between, if you don't know anything, it's not giving you enough information. And if you know it all anyway, it's too much, I would, I would say. But I don't know, maybe we're overthinking it again. No, I, I think that's legit, and uh, but that but that is my central my central query with this game is that it doesn't even get that far. I, I have to go back a step. My central query with this is why would anybody be attempting to play an HP Lovecraft Lovecraft inspired 
adventure story basing it on the D&D chassis at all of any variant it's it just seems to be banging around well a tentacled peg into a square hole and and, and I don't think I don't think it ever worked and I think I think back in the day when Call of Cthulhu came out as innovative as it was it still shackled itself to a fairly trad role playing system and and that's had people scratching their heads for 30 odd years um you know and it's it just seems a strange direction to take a D&D hack into at all and and clearly a lot of this hack is is literally cut and paste and that's absolutely fine I'm I'm not dissing it for that but the language in it is really D&D it's got wandering monsters that you roll for every 15 minutes in a Call of Cthulhu story, <laughs> really. And, yeah. it's, and it's got a great big old, well, not great big, but relatively, given the word count of the whole thing, it's got as much of a combat chapter as the Black Hack has, uh, as if you're going to be going in with knuckle dusters and punching Mego in the face. Not that they have faces, but it's that's... That's not what Call of Cthulhu has been for a very, very long time, and it didn't really sit well in the original BRP version of it. So, I think I think running through the same kind of issues again, thirty-five years later, I think is a misstep. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I think maybe it might be a little bit unfortunate timing because Pulp Cthulhu is just sort of like being sprung upon us. So it might have filled that gap where you want to play a Cthulhu game, but you don't want to be, you know three and a half hours of fruitless investigation before the mystery is revealed to you and you all die in insanity. Uh, and it's more a kind of like, I want to play a bit more of a hard-boiled noir game where I go and punch cultists in the face with my knuckle dusters and, you know, beat people up for answers and then, you know, a bit more action-y uh, and, you know, getting stuck in kind of thing, perhaps. Uh, but with Pulp Cthulhu landing, then it might, you know, might just be a little bit unfortunately timed. I don't know. Um I mean, there's still good stuff in there. I, I like the idea of the flashlights and smokes. So that's something where you were saying before you weren't sure about usage, die. I think it makes it makes a bit, bit sort of a sense to have that here. So flashlights are basically when you're trying to uncover something, spot something, do research, do your library research kind of stuff, I guess. Uh, and you roll your flashlight usage die to see if you can get that clue or whatever it is. And that might tick down as you run out of ideas. And similarly, the smoke dies for doing your fast-talking people, bribing, coercion, using your social contacts, that kind of stuff, and that can tick down. So that that makes a lot... I could see how that would work in a game, and if you mess it up, then, um, you know, there's consequences to it. But, again, it feels like it's um, it's a taster for it. It seems like a little bit of an amuse-bouche rather than going into the full detail sort of thing. So, like, if you run out of your flashlights or smokes, you kind of says, okay, you're tired, vexed, you burn out, you can't do anything else anymore. So it feels a little bit like you're still suffering an investigative game of that thing where you can't guarantee you're getting the clues you want, and then what do you do when you haven't got any? And it mentions, you know, not just having hard failure, but things like yes and and yes but, which is stuff from the more um, story-based games, but doesn't explain what they are. So if you pick this up as a D&D player coming from Black Hack, I think you might be a little bit lost about what that actually means. So, again, it's that kind of like um, dichotomy of starting off by saying, this is what a role-playing game is, people, and then mentioning terms that have no explanation, that no one's got a hope of reading. Unless unless you know what you're talking about, you wouldn't know what they were anyway. Maybe. Yeah. If the audience is people who play trad D&D-style games and via the vector of having picked up the black hack or being uh, run through the black hack at a convention... Uh, and then pick this up as like oh we could play the horror version of the black hack then i don't know if this does it but it 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 does do the investigative version of the black hack by saying essentially run this in an investigative way because if you approach this as a D&D player by picking a class and going and punching your way through stuff i think it would be a pretty short game like it is in in most cthulhu stuff because it, it, it asks you to pick a character class and it gives you hit points and it talks about weapons and it gives you an equipment package, which incidentally I really like the equipment packages. And and then you've got your, your character sheet where half of it is a suitcase, which is a really nice graphical clue as to what's going on. But but if any game was less about equipment than D&D, it was Cthulhu. I, I've never known Cthulhu to be about what you've got in your pockets uh, yeah. at all. Um, I think weird it's it's odd i don't quite know where it's trying to go or where it came from yeah yeah 
I think I think we're agreed. I don't want to labour it too much because it'll sound overly negative, probably. And what's as we've discussed before is just like a fan-made. Here's a fun thing I wanted to do, I guess. Uh, one of the interesting things I found about it is you just mentioned it there the starting gear. It's got that kind of thing that into the odd hat where you, you roll a die against your class type and that tells you what kit you've got and gives you some ideas about your character and stuff. So I like that kind of thing. And I think it's good that we're seeing that across games, uh, these small press things. And there's no no one's being precious about it. As far as I'm aware, Chris McDowell hasn't like you know sent off a lawsuit to uh, or rolled up for their use of the uh, equipment table or anything like that. It's uh, it's the, the good thing about these sort of hacks and uh, things that happen is people are spotting a good idea and then it's kind of organically spreading amongst them. And when people see that's good, they go, yeah, that's good. I'm going to use that as well. And then quite a few people start using it and it becomes almost the, you know, the common thing that if you're going to roll, you know, run the, with this sort of game, then obviously you need a set of random equipment that's going to be interesting to your player that they get to roll against. And I think it's nice to see that sort of stuff propagating around so that the good ideas kind of get carried on and ideas that may be less good or more specific to one group kind of like fall away. So maybe, you know, in 10 years' time, we'll have this perfect hack game that's just got all the best juicy bits of all kinds of things and any of the chaff, it just leaves that because you can design that for yourself. No, and I concur, mate, because there is loads to love about both of these things. Um, and to watch the iteration go through some of the small press stuff, as you say, through the way equipment is presented is really good to see. Um, and and also the the way that usage dice it's not just flashlight and smokes it's the sanity system which is a real differentiator for cthulhu games and i think using the usage dice for sanity is brilliant it's clearly really really simple you never quite know like going back to your pendragon example whether this is the thing that pushes you over the edge or not you're constantly taking risks it's a nice little gambling mechanic it's tactile and uses dice to roll at the table there's nothing to not like about it um and at a stroke by going i'm sure when paul read the black hack his eyebrows shot up at the usage dice thought right i'm having that i don't quite know what i'm gonna do with it yet, but i'm having that and then he's gone applied it to something perfect because the sanity system in the original call of cthulhu was not good and has never been good <laughs> but this is this is wonderful and really really portable as well if you take nothing else from it spend your money on the cthulhu hack just to like take little nuggets like that because i think it will be different for everyone i think some people will take the the spells table and some people might take the character classes or the feel of it or just the character sheet if all you get out of it is a couple of good ideas that make you go that's nice then i think it might sound like we're complaining but i don't think we've got any right to complain because on, on a on a dollars for inspiration ratio both of these things have provided me with way more stuff than i've had out of 30 40 dollar massive hardback rpgs that have come out 15 minutes then hit the shelf immediately afterwards you're not going to mention so Simbari, on that basis they both win <laughs> no wouldn't dare not in this one <laughs> i've been steered wrong before Ooh, i feel like i've got more value out of these than Simbarine, but there you are yep you're not wrong and they don't because they don't muck about with art and stuff it's just raw ideas it's raw enthusiasm it's diy it's all stuff i love about gaming uh, because it replicates what happens at actual tables and writes it down and passes it on in nice simple terms for other people to take with not be precious about i think with either of these you should write all over it in pen and and not just try and put it in amber on your gaming shelf and, and love it as a as a bibliophile i think these should be covered in coffee stains and torn up and have tipex on them and 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 people should be writing their own hacks um and why not chuck them up on the internet that's what that's what it's all about these days go for it why not um i i, I really admire the spirit of both these things more than i admire the implementation but that's purely preferences they made decisions i wouldn't have done and they would hate my ones because I would have made different decisions and you'd have made different decisions to me, and that's all fun. Yes. That's fun. No, it's exactly. not a tournament set of modules. Yeah, 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 definitely. I'd, I'd like to encourage people to do their own hacks as well, uh, and specifically to people like that. I know there's an army of people who love Black Hack and various iterations of it, so um, in our usual style, we always ask for feedback, but on this in particular, I'd really like to hear what you find good about it or different or why you would play one of these games will be playing well, 5th edition D&D or anything else or on what circumstances you play it over something else because that's, that's really interesting to us isn't it, I know we've we probably sounded a little bit mm. critical as we've gone along which is you know our want I guess but it'd be nice to hear the, the positive side of it because it might just be a failure on certainly my part that I can't quite see 
what the magic is having not played it. Maybe it's just the read-through that's the problem. So it'd be great to hear some real-life stories from people who are like really into this stuff about what's great or what they personally get out of it, or if they've hacked it themselves and done their own little hack. I think that sort of stuff would be really cool to, to find out about. Yeah, I, I think so, mate. And the other question that I'll ask, I mean, I'll ask you because you're right there, but I would love to get some answers from people more in the know than me is if if there's a hacking culture, which I think we both admit is a good thing, why is it only ever applied to basic D&D from 1981? Why isn't there why isn't there a Trav hack? Maybe there is <laughs> off, off the original Traveller books or a RuneQuest hack or, or, or why, why aren't we seeing someone's take on savage worlds which by now is a, is a relatively venerable system and could definitely be simplified and i'm sure people have got house rules for the cards and bennies and shaken and and all that stuff but i don't see it maybe i'm not looking in the right place but people are going back to just one wellspring for their hacks and i don't get that and, and that's one of the things that threw me with the cthulhu hack is why would you go back to D? why not why not hack the basic role-playing system that it started with so hacking great but it's shackled to to D D, which i dearly dearly love i don't quite understand why there aren't more hacks of other avenues that the hobby took yeah i guess um from my own personal point of view i like really robust internally logical systems so savage worlds we've mentioned and then there's uh, hot war is my other favorite but they're just really good tool sets so you can hack them to other things but you basically keep the rules the same because their work it's all the dressing and extra fancy bits you put around the outside that the extra bits but you don't really need that many house rules you just apply the rules you've already got in slightly different ways to give you the same results um i guess the thing that's in inverted commas been hacked quite a bit i can think of as popular is fate probably there's like tons of iterations of that aren't there where people have done extra bits and pieces. But even that's got it's got like the fake toolkit and, and you've sort of like exhausted the number of different things you can do with that system without making it a different system. There's so many different iterations of of that and fudge and using the fudge dice and various other things. Um so I guess with a lot of games, they're not played broadly enough that you want to change the rules too much, they kind of work as they do. I don't know. I guess like yeah, I say for for me personally it's so that I pick toolkit systems anyway. So all I have to do is mess about with the, the window dressing and the setting. Um, I know there's tons of stuff for GURPS, but again, that's another toolkit kit setting. So people use the core mechanics and then just add extra bits for the, the particular style of game they want to play. So they don't need to hack the core game per se. Um, I mean, I've tried using Pendragon as a samurai game and things like that, but I guess the applications aren't as broad. I think with just D&D, people have got lots of opinions on how you kill a kobold for some reason. So, so there needs to be lots of different <laughs> ways of doing it. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, it's it's all good conversational stuff, isn't it? And I'm sure this happens around game tables all the time when when probably GMs are pitching their latest campaign and and they've they've thought to themselves, oh, I really fancy this variant. Let's let's give it a go. And I suspect you're right, mate. In that perhaps the gamers shrug and go, well, whatever you want to play, it's cool with me. Uh, so maybe it's just a it's just rarefied conversation amongst a select few. And, and the type of people who are going to put fingers to keyboards and pr- printing out their opinions. <laughs> yeah, and I think you've got to remember with D&D being, it's the majority of gaming, isn't it? No matter, you know, there's all these other games out yes. there, but most people who play role-playing games play a variant of D&D. And that's the, the hard truth. Mm. So there's going to be more activity around that. And Some other games tend to be, rather than hack them, you just play a different game, don't you? You go like, well, I don't want to play, I want to play D&D as being knights. Seems quite hard way to have that. I'll play Pendragon instead, you know, or I fancy being in the future. I'll play Cyberpunk yeah. 2020. You don't have to hack Cyberpunk 2020 to something else. Like, I want orcs in my 2020 game. I'll play Shadowrun then. And people just play an entirely different game because there's so many of them out there. Uh, I think D&D is just in that unique position of having lots of people, so there's going to be more hacks anyway, and then lots of variations of it, so everybody else is going to have their variations on top of that. Because you seem almost like, you know, You've got license, haven't you, then? If there's hundreds of versions of your game anyway, what's one more? It doesn't matter. If there's only one version of a game, you know, it feels a bit weird to try and fix it or change it. No. Okay. Yeah, good stuff. Good food for thought. Um, listen, good conversation today. Um, please, I, I kind of want to reiterate, I think these things are great. Uh, they don't tick every box for me personally and, and I don't want to be down on the people who produce these at all I think that I'm, I'm really glad they exist and I'm, I'm glad I dropped a couple of quid on them um, they're good things to have and, and I think I would like to see more um, and I'm really really going to be interested in seeing what, what both of the 
authors that we've talked about tonight what they're going to do next uh, because I think they're going to they're going to reiterate this stuff and take it off into directions that that are going to be really surprising so yeah looking forward to that so um and looking forward to hearing everybody else's opinions on on what on earth we're talking about this week yeah awesome love it um and if someone's uh got an hour to spare at a convention or something when you see me or baz well i can only speak for myself but um i'd love to, i'd love to have a quick uh-huh. run through there so if you're re- you know an evangelist for black hack or something similar and you want to show me what the good stuff is in a, in a one hour punchy game or something like that that'd be a really cool thing to do because i think that's probably where it sings is where you've got a spare hour in the bar and you go you know what get your d20 out we're going to kill some orcs and do something so um don't be shy of offering me that kind of stuff. Uh, and as Baz says, let us know your opinions because there's a lot of love for this kind of stuff out there and we kind of want to know why and what you get out of it and what we're missing out on, I guess. Might even uh, turn us to the dark side. And before you know it, I'll have uh, the devil horns out in a, in a game near you soon. You can contact us and join in the chat by emailing us at smartparty at hotmail.com or by heading over to our website at smartparty.wordpress.com Get in touch and join the party of smartness Too right. We'll be busy writing the smart hack probably available on RPG now by the time you listen to this <laughs> podcast Okay, thanks everybody and, um, and we'll catch you next time Cheers Bye bye <laughs>